So you know how you know how on uh, like the Tonight Show and other talk shows they do a pre-interview before the interview so that like they have the stories worked out and there's chemistry and all that jazz. Are we going to work on our chemistry real quick? No, we do not do that on the Ruby on Rails podcast. <laughs> we because here's what I've learned: all my chemistry is is used up in the pre-interview if we do that, and then we get to the real thing and you know I've got nothing, so we get right to it. You are not Kyle. I'm not. Who who am I? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I hear Kyle is uh, is nearby, though. Yeah, well, Kyle this week is out in San Francisco, uh, where Mike is, and was speaking at GitHub Universe. So I thought, what better opportunity to talk about Kyle somewhat behind his back or just in his ears than to have you come on. So today's co-host is Mike Countermash from, some people know him from Product Hunt. Uh, what's, what's your... Uh, Twitter handle MSCCCCC, something like that. <laughs> uh, so first, it's Cooter Marsh. It's Cooter Marsh. It's impossible to say. Oh, I, I, you know what? I, I'm it's, I am absurdly disappointed in myself. I sort of pride myself on always getting names right. I didn't even get close. Yeah, no one has ever gotten it correct. So back to the I can't see bit. You know, I'm going to blame my poor eyesight and that. So it's Cooter Marsh. Cooter Marsh, and then on Twitter, I am at MSCCCC, so four C's. Like like the uh, pre-USSR breakup team. <laughs> uh, there's no relation to that. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's funny. In San Francisco, you get asked a lot what your Twitter handle is basically anywhere you go, or if people recognize you, um, occasionally you'll get recognized at a meetup, and they'll say, are you, you know, and they say your Twitter handle. Um, and then they asked me why, and it was just because I didn't think, uh, Twitter was a real thing when I signed up <laughs> right. and now, uh, I use it every four minutes. So now do you have, is your product hunt name MSCCCC? Cause that'd be embarrassing. Cause then that would mean you didn't think that was going to go anywhere either. <laughs> uh, so product hunt, our sign up is through Twitter. So my product hunt <laughs> name is also, and it's kind of just stuck at this point. So I'm using it. Yeah. I like, I, I sort of had thought that it may be related to the old, um, you know, Russia, USSR hockey team jerseys. I was kind of hoping it was, <laughs> well, I've gotten that, um, when people meet me, they're like, oh, you're pretty uh, sarcastic. So I now I understand. But uh, no, it was just I was trying to do as many C's until it took it. So. <laughs> right. Okay, so so you are the co-host today. I'm excited for this. Uh, a couple reasons why I think you, you should be great. So one is, is Product and has got this podcast thing going on now that is interesting, I think. It seems like a it seems like it may catch in terms of being a place that people talk about podcasts at and recommend. And that seems like a thing that doesn't exist, so or doesn't doesn't exist in a way that's caught on. So that's fun. Um, you guys are a Ruby on Rails. Yep. Shop. We are um, Ruby on Rails, and there are little sprinkles of Node here and there. Mm. So also related to the podcast, Ruby on Rails. Yep. And uh, you're a Heroku user, if I understand your Twitter stream correctly. <laughs> I'm a big Heroku guy. Um, I even wrote a book about Heroku last year. Right. So me too. So I'm I'm interested in all these topics. So awesome. why, why don't we uh, why don't we get to it? But first, let me read a sponsor because I've I've been learning that it they end up getting bunched up at the end because I do not plan where to take a break and I'm going to try to call an audible here and do a slightly better job. So feel free to jump in with any positive comments you've got, Mike. <laughs> you can sit on the negative ones. 
So our, our first sponsor today is CodeShip, a uh, longtime sponsor of the podcast and one of my favorite services that I use every day. CodeShip's a hosted continuous delivery service focusing on speed, security, and customizability. Now, you know the CodeShip guys, right? Yeah. Um, I used to live in Boston, so we're friends. And then also, uh, we use CodeShip at Product Hunt. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, am I allowed to ask about it? Yeah, CodeShip's great. We're in... Um, I'm in CodeShip all day long. Okay, so I am going to... Everyone that listens has heard me read the rest of the ad multiple times. So I'm going to say, go to CodeShip.com slash 5x5Ruby. You get to save 20% off any premium plan for the next three months. Again, 5x5Ruby. Instead of talking about the canned stuff I usually do, let's talk about you and CodeShip. And, and then I can talk about how I use it too. But So like, how is CI? how does CI work at Product Hunt? Um, so we're very, uh, so we're remote first, um, everything that can possibly be automated needs to be automated. Um, if there's something that a robot can do, then a human shouldn't be doing it. So we like to put as much as possible through code ship and through our build process. Um, so if there's some sort of code linting, whether it be Ruby or JavaScript, uh, it's always easier in a pull request review to have a robot yell at you about, you know, your parentheses than a human, um, same with any of our tests. And then also we continuously deploy a product on. So um, I wasn't around when we first chose CodeShip, but I think as I've done it more, it's just probably the easiest one to set up. Um, and now that we're there, it's been working well for us. So do you guys use, um, and, and you don't have to endorse them for the rest of the time. We just talk about how you use it. But do you use uh, uh, a like style do you lint the style of the code or just the just the syntax of the code? Uh, so we use RuboCop um, for Ruby, and then uh, for JavaScript, I don't remember what it's called. Um, but our style guide is pretty simple. <laughs> That's the story of my life, by the way, with Ruby and JavaScript. <laughs> for JavaScript, I never remember anything. <laughs> Yeah, I always tell everyone I'm a Ruby developer, but I think I've been writing more JavaScript lately than I do Ruby. Um, yeah, I, I I write more Ruby, but it's 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 not. I mean, it's a contest at this point. Yeah. So, anyways, so you do you know the RuboCop and then the equivalent on the JavaScript in addition to uh, you know linting the syntax itself. And, yeah, is that, um, and, that, and that's integrated into the CI process, or you do that sort of locally before it gets pushed out. Um, so yeah, both RuboCop and then this JavaScript linter run as part of the build. Mm-hmm. So if you break something, you get feedback instantly. Yeah. The thing that I added to my code ship workflow recently, and basically mine's the same, I have the same philosophy that you do and, and basically the same approach, but I added generating the, my API docs to my code ship workflow. We, we do that. Yep. Real, real improvement, like has, has fundamentally, I think, improved the experience that those that are using the API, which includes myself, but myself and others have had uh, just because there's, they're just never out of sync and they're always out there and it's always built through the test runner. It's great. Yeah. What's that gem called? I think we use the same one. R spec uh, API documentation. Yep. I believe we use the same one. Yeah. Super. I, I think it's super well done. I think the DSL is really good. I think it, it makes total sense. I just replaced my controller test basically with acceptance test for that. That yep, use that gems uh, syntax and then spit out the documentation from there. We're very in sync, <laughs> right? I know Shlemiel Shlemazel, the two of us, <laughs> right now. 
All right, so let's, uh, anyways, codeship.com slash 5x5ruby, code 5x5ruby, get 20% off any premium plan for three months. So uh, let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about about two things for background. One is you, and two is Product Hunt. Most people, I think, would know Product Hunt okay, but but I don't know. I, I don't want to assume that, and, and uh, some people know you and some people won't. So why don't you give us a bit of a background on both? Sure. Um, so I guess I'll start. Let's start with Product Hunt. Uh, so to put it simply, Product Hunt is where people go to discover, uh, chat, and kind of just geek out about all of the latest products that are out there. Um, and products range from really anything. It could be the latest iPhone app. It could be the latest video game. Um, we also do books. And then most recently, last week, we're now onto podcasts. Um, so it's a huge community of people who just love the latest and greatest things and finding out uh, what's new. Is it then, so? Is it for on the um, that the sort of original feature set? Is it for mostly for? apps or apps and services or businesses too? Or does it sort of stick to the tech side uh, at first at least? Uh, initially, it was built out of a way to share the latest tech products with okay. a group of friends. Um, so whether or not that's a service or if it's an app, um, I think the majority of people who come to Product Hunt are looking to find something that improves either you know sort of their personal life or work life. Um, so Apps and services tend to be very popular. Um, our audience is very uh, sort of builder and maker heavy. So a lot of developers, designers, uh, entrepreneurs, um, people who are interested in building things. So we, send, we tend to see products that help that type of person uh, do best on Product Hunt. Why do you think Product Hunt got so popular so quickly? Like what, 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 did it, what itch was it scratching that people weren't having scratched effectively elsewhere? Yeah, I think the main thing is um, if you think about, uh, and I'm, I was thinking about this back on one of your prior episodes about your API training course, is sort of why does anyone listen to a Ruby on Rails podcast? Why does anyone go to a conference? Um, you know, why does anyone attend a training course? And it's all really in the end is we want to improve ourselves um, and. The reason I was originally hooked on Product Hunt is um, sort of obsessed with self-improvement and getting sort of that uh, first look at the latest tools that are out there uh, that you can use to better yourself. And then you also have this community of people that are sort of similar to you um, that share their experience with this product, how it's helped them. Um, And then also really the big thing is if you're someone who's a maker in sort of any way, uh, the people who make these apps are on Product Hunt and talking about it. So you have direct access to learn uh, sort of the behind the scenes of your favorite apps and how they were created. That definitely seemed like a, a thing for me when I saw it that felt different, is that this idea that there was the person behind the thing that was accessible through Product Hunt. Yeah. Now, was that on purpose or did that sort of like, was that a happen to be the way that it worked out kind of thing that you guys picked up on after you saw what people responded to and then have kind of more aggressively built out from there? Yeah, that was on purpose and something we've pushed really hard. Hmm. Um, if you look uh, all over the website, you'll see that M Maker badge, um, which is something people are very proud of. And I think they should be proud of when you're building something and sharing it. Um, we have a group of people, uh, so there's regularly three or four product hunt 
employees or teammates of mine who are out. If we have a new product and we don't have a maker, we search for that person to get them in um, because that's really a huge value to us having them in the thread and answering questions. And it's also a huge value to them because we're sending them so much traffic. Right. And I think that seems, that's very nice. I think like, like not that uh, the, the podcast thing is new and, and I wasn't, I, I used product hunt before, but wasn't much involved with the various things that I make. Cause they tend to be a bit more business sort yeah. of centric than consumer centric. But, um, but I appreciated it. You know, you, you added me and added the podcast and yeah, it, it, it's nice. And it's nice when people comment on the show and it's nice to interact with people. It's nice. I, yeah, I, I've been, I get um, it. I love, I think the podcast is going to do really well. Um, it was something that we wanted ourselves. And even just thinking, um, I've been listening to this show for quite some time and often I'll be listening, I'll be halfway through and I'll, I sort of have a comment or something I'd like to add, but I don't know if there's really a good place to send that other than, you know, shooting it out on Twitter at whoever sort of the context isn't there because it, the people on Twitter haven't also listened to the same episode. Um, so I think, having that discussion thread per episode is different. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that there's a, a decent amount of sort of latent demand for it. Cause you know, I obviously hear a lot from people about episodes and everyone has some number of people that are interested in talking more and sharing their opinion or sharing something related or talking to other people that are interested in the same thing. Every episode is like that. Um, you know, some more than others. I think it depends on the topic, but, but for sure, that's a, that's a thing that Twitter is, is basically filling that void now, but I don't think as well as it could. Um, so I like it. Um, so, so tell me a bit more about that. So like, what's the, what's the goal with podcasts? Is it as simple as what you just said? Is there a sort of a, well, I'll, I'll make it open-ended. What, what are you trying to do with the podcast angle? Yeah. So number one would be, um, making the discovery of podcasts easier. So, uh, that's really what product Hunt is all about is discovering something new, uh, something like you'll, you'll enjoy and something you'll use, um, which is what we've done really well with tech. Uh, if you go to tech, there's usually something every day that you would use or find interesting. So we want to do the same for podcasts. Where do you think that's done best now? I'm trying to think of where I, I don't really have a single go-to place for that, for that sort of job to be done. I suppose, I, I suppose I use the overcast recommendations some, um, now, uh, but not as like, not as like a thing I do every week, but something I do occasionally. And then, you know, podcasts have become such a thing culturally that it, um, recommendations are sort of interspersed into all sorts of media now. So not just, I mean, obviously Twitter, but you know, various websites that I'd read, like, I don't know, Atlantic or New York times or the New Yorker or whatever, they, they'd all have, um, recommendations for podcasts, but I don't think, I, I don't think that there's sort of a social recommendation, uh, source for podcasts outside of overcast, which I don't think is, is doing this as well as it could that, that is getting that done. So it's, it's interesting timing and clearly podcasts have, they couldn't be much more popular right now. I don't think yeah. so. So how did the launch go? Oh, so, uh, <laughs> the launch was kind of funny. Um, we had been, we had a beta running for, I think it was about two weeks. Um, I think I invited, uh, both yourself and Kyle to it. We had about a thousand people using it, um, just to work out the bugs. Uh, this was something a little different than we had done before. Um, the podcast page, we have this player at the bottom. Uh, so there's kind of new tech for us. Um, that we needed to test out. 
And then I think it was, uh, we launched it, I believe, Tuesday. It had been Monday morning. Um, and Ryan, our, our CEO and founder, was like, hey, why don't we just launch it tomorrow? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so generally we'll do um, a big organized push, you know, maybe like reach out to press and uh, kind of have a big coordinated launch day. Um, this was kind of, you know, let's ship it. Um, it feels good. So we did. Um, and so far it's been doing really well. Uh, we'll know more soon sort of as we monitor it and see how it's going. Um, do people listen in the app? That's so different than my workflow or worth the workflow. That's a stupid way to say it. That's so different than the way that I listen to podcasts. I kind of can't imagine that I would do that, but I, I do other people do that, do that now. Yeah. Um, so we don't know yet cause it's so new. Okay. Um, we think they will. Uh, and then what we want to be doing is to just give you a quick way to at least preview it. Mm-hmm. So I think there's almost zero friction in there. If you see something, you know, your friend posted, I'm interested in this podcast, you click the play button, you get a, at least a preview of what it's like. Um, and then if you have another sort of favorite app where you listen to podcasts, it would make sense to subscribe there as well. Um, but we'd like to build out the player more and, like I'd love if people came to product hunt and they went to podcasts and that's where they listen to their podcasts. I can, I mean, I could see myself previewing something there. I definitely can imagine that. I think that in terms of like the regular listening, um, at least for me, you know, I, I'd like to have them queued up into playlists and I listen to the, the uh, podcast in a playlist that sort of suits whatever activity I'm doing at the time or mood that I'm in or whatever. And so I don't think that I would go, personally to product hunt for like the regular listening, but absolutely to check something out. I think that that's way less friction than either going to their website. Cause who knows what the, what the deal is like, you know, in that or downloading it into my podcast player, which has obviously a bunch of friction on it. Yeah. yeah. So it's good. Yeah. I think something we'll do is, um, and what we do with everything is we just watch metrics. Um, and we ask people and our community is not quiet. So they'll tell us, uh, what we're doing wrong or what they want us to do better. Uh, and then we'll just keep iterating on it and just see. Um, that's sort of our general approach to everything. So well, let's talk about the community a bit because I was I was interested in asking about this. Um, so, so right now, because I, I have a good idea of what the original Product Hunt community was like, but now, you know, however long after the initial sort of um, rise to prominence, what, what's the current community like? Like how would you describe the the set of people that use product hunt that you'd consider like core users? Um, that are core users. Uh, it's incredibly diverse. Um, you'll find, I think there's certainly still a very strong, um, group of people who are makers. So you'll find that throughout the community that a lot of people they're interested in making, um, they're interested in finding out about the latest things. Um, I don't know if our community has shifted that much, uh, recently or since the beginning, I think it's just grown and been, um, probably more inclusive of different types of people. Um, originally you'd see a lot of, it'd be predominantly entrepreneurs or developers or designers. Um, and you're starting to see folks from sort of different areas of business coming in as well. Um, something that I found a little, I don't know. I, I've, I've always been a little confused by my reaction to product hunt is that I never felt like the community was a, even though on paper it should be a pretty good fit with what I am, right? Cause I make things. I'm both a yep. developer and a podcaster and a business owner. You know, like I, I, you'd think I'm in the wheelhouse of the community, but it always felt a little off for me. 
you know, maybe too San Francisco or too young or too startup guy, maybe those three demographics that like, I just didn't relate to that, that group that well, but I didn't know if that was my own, you know, who knows my own craziness about not feeling like that was exactly my people or if that, if there was something to that. Um, and, and then yeah. when, when I've recently gone back, um, cause, cause I, I didn't use product on much for a while, but I have more recently a bit. It felt to me like there was still a, maybe the same amount of those three categories that I just said, like the entrepreneur, San Francisco, young entrepreneur or st- startup guy. Um, maybe that, that had gotten diluted by more of other types. Uh, but I don't, I, you know, it's possible. I imagine that too. Yeah. That's interesting, um, to hear. So we'll often have, we have these huge meetups here in San Francisco and also all over the world. Um, the ones I've been to, I've been both Boston and San Francisco. And I think um, there's certainly sort of that young uh, San Francisco startup uh, guy there. Um, but I think it's probably a lot more diverse than that when you see it in person. Mm. Um, there's sometimes a lot of people who are just interested in product or product development and you know, they might work for, you know, random big co in the city and they heard about this and, you know, they come and they get involved. Um, it's like their startup latte, like the, the little thing <laughs> that, that sort of tastes like a startup, but maybe isn't their day-to-day life, that kind of, cause th- th- I definitely know that demographic, you know, the, the sort of aspirational entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, where they sort of, you know, dip in and network and meet, meet these other people. Yeah. Maybe they have like day-to-day, you know, kind of jobby jobs, but, um, like to at the very least sort of feel, I don't know, a sense of community with the the people that are building things. And speaking of the building things, so you've used the word maker some number of times. So yep. what what does that mean to you? Like, so when you say maker, what is that? What what are you referring to? Um, anyone who's you know spending their time that's outside of work and building something and releasing it. I think hmm. that's really the it's really the hardest thing is. Um, you have an idea and then building it to the point where someone else can use it. So I think we have a lot of respect for people who do that. Um, product sense all made of people who do that. Uh, like you're one of those. Um, so that's what I think of when I think of maker. The outside of work is an interesting distinction, I guess. So it's sort of like someone that for fun would make stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. I think, well, we do have a lot of people who are doing it in work, but I think if you are someone who's uh, entrepreneurial, you're doing this outside of work or, um, you know, outside of sort of the walls of your cubicle, you, you do this because you enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that definition is, uh, I like that definition. Um, cause, cause I think that that's an easy, cause everyone makes stuff, right? I mean, or not everyone, but at least in, in some definition of make stuff, many people make stuff, but the group that find enjoyment in it, like w- where they would sort of define themselves as someone who likes to do, to make that thing, not that it's just a way to pay the bills. That's definitely a, a more clear group. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's smart. So, so, uh, what's your prediction on where things go with podcasts? Like, so let's take this show. In a perfect world about this episode, how will this episode play out over the next month on Product Hunt? What I would love to see is, um, so we've recently released two things, and one was the podcast that we talked about. Um, we also did an upgrade to collections. Uh, and For those who aren't familiar, a collection on Product Hunt is a way where you can take all your sort of favorite products uh, and put them into a single collection that's on your profile. Um, 
So for example, I keep a collection of uh, every app that's currently on my iPhone's home screen. So if someone's interested in what I'm using, they can go check that out. Oh, that's cool. Um, so we added a way where you can follow these collections. Uh, I recently set one up for the Ruby on Rails podcast. So as new Ruby podcasts come out, I'll be adding those to that collection and people can follow along and then they'll get an update when the podcast is posted and then when the uh, discussion thread is available. Um, And people have been chatty about it. I've been surprised, I think. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, there are obviously podcasts with much more of a discussion thread than this one, but this one had not bad. Every every episode you've posted seems to have some chit chat about it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, I think there's a lot of people who are out there listening, but there's really no place to discuss it. I know uh, we have a lot of listeners at this podcast in the office and we'll talk about it occasionally, Um, but that's within the confines of our office and we're not really sharing those thoughts with anyone else. Uh, I would love to see if there was, if there could be an active community of people discussing it every week. Well, I'm going to try it out. So I'll make the commitment that I will kind of be in in the stream of conversation on each of the episodes on product hunt. I think it's a fun thing and, uh, you know, I personally enjoy it and it it does seem like a way to, to go further on the topics, topics, especially because a lot of the topics lately, I think have been pretty interesting. Um, you know, where we get to go into some amount of detail over an hour, but you know, whether it was the episode on, um, you know, the human, the UI, the, the person is the exception yep. state, not the default. That's an interesting topic. I mean, that could be a whole show unto itself and it like, defines much of my professional career at this point. Um, so like that, that's a good example of one where I think if we had been using product hunt as a way to chit chat about it, there would have been, there would have been a good discussion about it. So yeah, let's, let's do it. Yeah. I think this podcast fits in really well with, uh, the type of people who are coming to product hunt. Um, I find this podcast is usually very actionable. Yeah. And I think you go to product hunt because you're looking for something that is actionable or can help you quickly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, so thanks for on the background on product hunt. Let me do, uh, let me do another sponsor again, trying to, to get ahead of the curve <laughs> because I always fall behind. And then after that, let's, uh, let's talk about you a little bit before we get into the, the technical side of product hunt. All right. So our next sponsor today is a brand new sponsor to the show. And I I feel a little guilty doing this spot because they sent me a, uh, it's dot block by the way, D O T B L O C K dot block. And they sent me a free, uh, server to be able to use before we did this sponsor read. And I haven't had the opportunity yet. So we're going to talk about this and then I'll, I'll get to use the server in an upcoming project and then, uh, talk about how that went on a future show. But Dotblock is the place to get scalable, solid-state, drive-based cloud VPS hosting with root access in under a minute. You can get dedicated servers for every build, a 16-gig, 12-core, 12-gigabyte, 24-core, 32-gigabyte, 12-core, etc. Uh, server uh, for whatever you need. They've got locations across the uh, the world. As I said, their storage is SSD, so you're going to have uh, lightning-fast uh, storage performance on your apps. Support is 24-7, 365, U.S.-based. Uh, uh, they have a solid ticketing system. Now, I haven't used this yet, so uh, and hopefully I will not need support, but um, that's something that they pride themselves on, uh, as is uptime. They, uh, again, they're, they're brand new, um, but uh, brand new to me, and I think relatively new to the market. Um, you can get set up with DotBlock in uh, just about a minute to try them out. Again, they sent me a code to 
to uh, build something new on, which I'm going to do, and I'll report back later. But if you go to uh, dotblock.com, you can use uh, the code. What is my code? Well, I think the code is Ruby on Rails. I, I'm not actually positive. I have a space in the <laughs> where it says what the code is. So you can go to dotblock.com, use the code uh, Ruby on Rails. And again, if that's wrong, then tweet at me. But you'll get a trial month for just $1. So a single dollar to try them out for an entire month. Uh, go to dotblock.com, use that code Ruby on Rails, or ask me if that's wrong, and uh, we'll correct it. But I want to thank them for supporting the show, supporting 5 by 5 and I look forward to giving them a shot on uh, a future project. Okay, so how'd you end up at Product Hunt? What's your, what's your story? Ooh, uh, this is, um, it's pretty funny, I think. <laughs> well, well, good, so, because I, like, my, joke, my, my jokes per minute on this episode have not been as high as usual. <laughs> so. oh, let's, we'll, work, we'll bring that up. <laughs> right. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, so prior to Product Hunt, um, I was working, I was in Boston, um, working for gazelle.com, uh, if you're familiar with that. So I did back-end Ruby Rails stuff there. And I was one of the first-ish users of Product Hunt. Uh, my user number is 787, which is super low. Um, are you allowed to say how many users there are? That's probably one of those like closely held secrets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, you know, I don't even know off the top of my head cause I haven't looked in a while. It's under, under half a million registered users. Um, and then most of our users are not signed or not signed in. So I'll say a long tail of lurkers. Gotcha. That's yeah. interesting. I think that's a good reminder for what it's worth that like, you know, the, the, that we live in a bubble. Cause you'd think if you're in tech, like the entire world knows product hunt and clearly it's a very, very small minority yeah. of the world yeah. is using product hunt. But anyhow, so, so you were seven, eight, seven, seven, eight, seven. If you go to a product hunt meetup, it's pretty common for people to compare their numbers. Really? Yeah. Oh man. Do you know? Do you know you're you're gonna go after? Well, I'm gonna look right now while you're talking. But uh, no, I do yeah. not know my product on user. Like I said, I've never. I it's I, I it's not my. Uh, I don't feel like I'm a big member of the community yet. But I, but I'm gonna check while you're talking. Awesome. Um, let's see. So I was so an early user product hunt, um, and like I said, uh, just as a person who's interested in self improvement, I kept going to it every day because I kept finding things that were great for me. Um, and so I did that for a few months and then right around the time where product hunt started to turn into a business and, uh, raised money, I think it was the same, the same month as the series a, um, I was an active user and, um, sort of, uh, sort of acquaintances with the founder, Ryan, we, uh, sort of talked back and forth on Snapchat, (laughs) really <laughs> yeah so twitter <laughs> and we were snapchat friends yeah huh i didn't so, really know i i guess i'm gonna show my age here but it never struck me that someone would be friends with someone on snapchat that they didn't like i don't know know in their in their not online life yeah i guess uh, i guess i, I guess <laughs> i'm wrong <laughs> i think um i think at the time it wasn't really a thing it's becoming more of a thing now uh this was, I don't know, two years ago at this point when we were sort of sending each other Snapchats. I think Snapchat had just come out. 
and, you know, sort of early adopter syndrome there. So very, very quick side story on this. My go-to, um, like my go-to way to make a teenager like me. So I've got a (laughs) kid that's, um, uh, 19 and in college and then one that's, uh, 12, you know, and they're, they're the two and then one that's, uh, eight and then twins. But the, the two that are older are sort of in the Snapchat wheelhouse and especially, uh, Kayla, the 19 year old. So, and she was on right away. Well, when it first came out. And so when she has friends over and I'll still do this now, I ask what your sna- uh, Snapchat score is. Like if, like maybe if it's just them or sometimes if their parents are around or whatever, it's like a guaranteed to be funny exchange. Right. Because like, there's like some people know, and they'll be like, it's 57,000, you know, 201 and some, yeah, some people don't know. And then, you know, other people bet on what their score is going to be. Then if the parents are around, the parents never know what, even at what we're talking about. And then when they find out and they find out right when the kid says, well, my score is 31,000, there's this just vis visceral reaction to it every time of just horror. Like what, like how did I fail so badly that my child has a score of 57,000 in, in, in Snapchat? And I love it. It's like the kids think it's funny. I write up, you know, right down the uh, middle of the lane for me in terms of what I like to do. And parents always think it's funny. So what's your Snapchat score? Ooh, geez. I don't know. I, th- I think it's under 10,000. <laughs> you're going to, ha- you're going to have to look it up and, and reveal. <laughs> you're going to have to look. Do you want me to look right now? Yeah, you got to look. And while you are, so I looked up my product hunt number. Yep. My product hunt number is 68,782. See, that's pretty good. Is it? Yeah. I think that probably is about average for what my number would be in most things. Like never at the very beginning and probably not near the tail end of your. But you sign up. Yeah. I sign up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I get like pulled in eventually through, you know, fear of missing out or whatever. Awesome. The FOMO, yeah. It seems uh, like Product Hunt is like you could nickname ProductHuntFOMO.com and it would be somewhat accurate. We are the FOMO solution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, so we talk about this quite a bit. <laughs> so, so what's your Snapchat score and then we'll get back to your story. I just pulled it up. It is 10,166. Okay. And, uh, my Snapchat is the same as my Twitter. So if you want to be friends, maybe one day you'll get a job. Now, what's your, <laughs> this is your this is your uh, get a job strategy. I like it. This is un- this, unconventional. This is yeah. So we were actually uh, we were had an opening for someone in social media a couple weeks ago. So we opened up a product on team Snapchat, and we made a story that just gave all the descriptions on how to apply. And okay. I don't know how many applications we got, but we got a lot, and they were very funny. Huh. So use social media. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I saw you retweet Ryan, tweet that, I think. And uh, that seemed like a smart way to go about it. And, you know, hey, there there clearly are more people with Snapchat skills than there are jobs for people with Snapchat skills. So I get, I get how there would be like an avalanche of interest for that job. Yeah. Okay, anyhow, so so you are Snapchat buds with Ryan and an early user, 787 of Product Hunt. And, then, and guess what happens next? Uh, what happens next is uh, Andreas, our CTO, reached out to me um, under the guise of, you know, let's just chat about Product Hunt. And um, at the time, I was super happy where I was. I had, you know, like a good job is very uh, stable, sort of mid- mid-sized tech company, you know, everything you could want uh, with all the free yogurt and coffee and massages. Um, and 
Greek were... Greek yogurt or like the real the 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 you know my childhood yogurt. Oh, Greek, yeah, Greek yogurt. <laughs> two two percent fat. Only. I tell you, if you go to the grocery store now and look, like I've gone recently and looked for regular yogurt, and I'm not the I'm not the primary grocery shopper in our house. Like, <laughs> just to say, I could go years without grocery shopping, and I so I went, and it doesn't exist anymore. Like, you can't buy regular yogurt. It's like in its own section of shame in the yogurt aisle. There's only Greek yogurt. And I didn't, apparently between the last two times I've gone to the grocery store, this happened. But anyhow, meanwhile, they're, they're giving out free yogurt at your old job while you're, you know, entertaining other options. Your, your typical tech company, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was good. I was happy. Um, uh, they called and they had asked me to join. And of course, uh, well, I don't know. I think my first thing is a pretty stressful time for me because I was thinking, oh, God, you know, I love product time and I'm on it every day. Uh, but do I want to do the startup thing um, where there's, I don't know how many people were there at the time. Maybe there were like five or six of us and some other people who were around uh, not working full time. Um, so leaving that uh, and they asked me if I'd move out to San Francisco, which I was in Boston at the time, and I was always thinking, you know, I was kind of a Boston for life kind of guy. What happened to the remote first thing? I oh, so I yeah. Um, Did that come so later? <laughs> remote, remote later. Remote after Mike joins. <laughs> <laughs> you can join, but then we're going to go. <laughs> exactly. This this story is not sounding super remote first so far. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, let me tell you a bit about our team. Uh, so our team's mostly remote. Um, I'd say it's probably 60% remote, mm. uh, on the development side. Um, there are three of us that are in the San Francisco office. Um, and then the, oh, I hope we get this number right. Six others are remote. Um, so I didn't think that remote was going to work for me. Hmm. Uh, I did it, uh, when I first joined product time, I did it for two months. Um, and I think, I think that was probably enough. Interesting. Um, what didn't you like about it? I really like talking to people <laughs> and I found when I was doing remote, like, uh, I was living alone at the time. Um, did you have a cat? I didn't, I had no animals, okay. you know, living alone. And you'd have to, I found I would have to purposely uh, meet up with people. So when, uh, you know, you have to like make plans, uh, during the week or during the day. Otherwise it's just you and your laptop in a Starbucks with your Starbucks. <laughs> now, I mean, people <laughs> do make plans. Like that's the thing. Oh yeah. But it's, it's harder <laughs> to make plans during the day when everyone else is out there. At least, uh, my see. sort of network of, of friends were in an office. So it was a little harder. Um, so you would have to, you know, purposely, um, do that or find people at night. And it uh, wasn't really enough for me. So um, it was lonely. Yeah, it was a little lonely. The, uh, I think the thing that's funny is when we haven't talked about Kyle much is when I was working remote. <laughs> I know. I can't believe. <laughs> what, are, what have we been doing? When we were, when I was working remote, <laughs> Kyle was one of those uh, lunch buddies. So one day Kyle and I got lunch. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's uh, he's very. So so I'm in a Slack room with Kyle like uh, and some other guys uh, every day or most days at least, and. Uh, it's interesting to see how focused on lunch he is. I mean, it's really an intense focus on lunch. Like if I could stay as focused on my work as he is on lunch every day, every day, <laughs> I would, my productivity would be through the roof. 
So yeah, he's, they're always talking about, you know, let's go to wooden tap today. Or how about, you know, Buffalo wild wings? <laughs> like sometimes the options sound good. Sometimes they sound bad. Sometimes they're a big hassle. Then there's always the discussion about the quality of the Wi-Fi wherever they're going. Um, is this like a local Connecticut Slack group? <laughs> it, uh, it's not a hundred percent Connecticut. Uh, <laughs> it's like a Kyle and friends group, you know, nice. Because I think that Kyle has, like, by nature is kind of like you in terms of feeling um, that remote is lonely. So he, like, aggressively counteracts that with things like, you know, Slack and, and organizing lunch and, and and just being, I don't know, pretty proactive about getting face-to-face interaction with people. <laughs> Whereas I, I apparently am okay without doing that that much. Um, <laughs> but I think that part of that may be that I've got a big family. So like, you know, if I was living by myself, then I wouldn't have like the built in constant interaction with people that I have now, uh, you know, and and maybe I need to scratch that itch through work. So I I get that. Yeah. I think the, uh, the other thing that really didn't work for me was, um, I'm really not a good meeting guy. So when you're remote, you really have to schedule everything. Uh, if you're going to end up talking, uh, one-on-one, you, you have to schedule it. Um, No. What do you mean? You're not a good meeting guy. I think, uh, geez, I don't, I don't like, like, like you, like you, like crazy outbursts or inappropriate <laughs> scribbles on the whiteboard, like that sort of not a good meeting guy. Um, I think I really appreciate having, uh, sort of at least a four hour block of time where it's just, I can think and write code and oh, yeah. do, do my best work. And, um, if I'm working on someone else's schedule where, you know, they want to put something in the middle of my block of time, I just know it's not going to be the best day it could be. Um, so, and I also really like things to be, you know, I guess quick. Um, now, ace uh, or async, async and remote tends to be better for this though, at least in my experience, cause I've worked most of my career, not remote and then plenty now remote. It seems to me that you get much larger blocks of time without interaction, or if the interactions come, they're async. So you can kind of deal with them when you want to remote than you did in an office than I did in an office. But see, so you're finding the reverse. I think that uh, when I was remote, and I, this was probably because I was new to remote and I didn't really know how to handle it, um, I would be I'd be checking Slack too much. Ah. And now uh, that I'm in the office, I often shut off Slack. And I know if you know when I need to go focus, and then I choose when to interact with people. Um, but you could just not look at it for a while. That's true too. I don't know if I have the self control. <laughs> Our team's a lot of fun and I like them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> now, if they're all remote though, I mean, it seems like they're like Slack is, well, I guess Slack can be kind of async. So it's not, it's not disrespectful to them to sort of just catch up later in Slack. That's fine. Yeah. Our team's to, uh, totally async. Um, there's only, let's see, maybe f- four on the development team that are in the United States. Uh, everyone else is in Europe. So a lot of, times we'll have trouble with time zones where, Mm. um, you know, over here we'll have to be up early or they'll have to be up late. Um, and so async does work well for us. Uh, now would you ever move back to Boston or have you, do you consider yourself a, what's, what's the name for someone from San Francisco? I think it's San Franciscan. Okay. So uh, would you go back or do you consider yourself sort of a San Franciscan now? Um, I don't know. I don't want to say that I would never go back. Uh, I think San Francisco is better for me. Um, 
I had a really hard time the first six months moving here. Um, just like coming because I'd been New England all my life, uh, Boston. My family was around there. Um, I was also in Connecticut for a while. Then my family lives in New Hampshire. Um, so I was there my whole life, like my whole network, all my friends. Uh, then coming out here and you can sort of start over, um, which uh, is really hard. And Are I you a Patriots fan? You, you know, I guess I'm a Patriots fan. I'm more of a hockey guy. and uh, uh, back, back to the whole CCCC thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we'd get back to that. <laughs> You're revealing it. You got yeah. your joke in. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I'm glad. I mean, that's good. It's good that it's worked out because, you know, it's a big move. I mean, I think that San Francisco and Boston are kind of similar sizes-ish. And that's probably about where the similarity ends. Yeah. They're pretty different. um, And I think I've talked to a lot of people who have done the move from Boston to San Francisco or New York to San Francisco. Uh, And the big thing was that you don't really notice the difference between the two cities until you go back to Boston for the first time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I think I remember sort of my first couple weeks here. I did think it was strange that um, I was having all these conversations in elevators with strangers, which I, I don't know if it's people are more open here or maybe they're just normal and then Boston's really close Oh, I mean, off. so I've lived yeah. in a lot of places now and, and, and Boston is one of the main ones. I went to school there and then I lived there after. Uh, not immediately after school, but I, I moved back after a handful of years. And uh, it's easily the rudest city in the country. I, I don't think that, I don't even know what the competitor would be for number two, you know, for number one. I get, I had, I don't think I had thought that when I was there. Just that was my whole life being, you know, in New England or around Boston or um, just like that attitude was normal to me. So and- I didn't. And that's not to say that I think that's a bad thing. I think it's the cultural norm. So it's not like, I mean, someone sort of stepping out of the cultural norm in their rudeness is the thing that I think is bad. So in other words, if like the steady state, a good example is like, like people in Russia don't smile much, mm-hmm. right? And this is like this coconut versus peach idea is the exterior hard or is the inside hard. And they don't smile much, but it's not that the, the, the culture is rude or, or off-putting. It's just, that's the culture. That's how they do things around here. So in Boston, people are rude by default on average. Um, but since everyone's that way, I don't think it feels rude when you're there. That's just the temperature, right? right. Is that, um, but if you took the average like guy from Revere and shipped <laughs> him to, to San Francisco, he absolutely would be rude. Um, because the, yeah. the context changes. So I, I think it makes sense that, that, but he wouldn't see that everyone, he wouldn't see the difference if he went from Revere to San Francisco, um, because he's the one that sticks out, not them, you know? So I, I totally get, I, I totally get why you would have had that experience. That makes sense to me. Um, yeah, I'm still, you know, I'm glad I did it. So I think, I think San Francisco is the right city for me. Well, good. Yeah. How long ago was that? Uh, so it was exactly 10 months. So last, um, January. Oh, that's pretty recent. Yeah. Huh. Uh, well, let me do our third sponsor and then let's talk about the tech stack at product hunt. Awesome. All right. The, uh, the third sponsor today, this is going to be fun to see if you, uh, use these guys. I'm going to find my read for them. So this is another new sponsor to the show and it's a product that I use, which is really nice. 
<laughs> when it's a product that I'm a subscriber to and I get to talk about that. So it's app signal. Do you know what app signal is? I don't, I don't use app signal, but I've heard that name. Okay, good. So it'll be, it'll be fun to talk about the difference between app signal and what you do use. Cause I, I suspect I will have used that one too. So, uh, app signal is a monitoring tool for Ruby applications like now this isn't what they told me to say, but you know, in the same category of thing as new relic or skylight yep. as an example. So it's in that group, like you'd either pick app signal or new relic. Um, and, uh, they focus on performance and exception slash error monitoring. So they combine both like the traditional new relic use case and something like a air break, right? Like a, yeah. a exception trapping a service into one for your, both your web actions and background jobs. So, uh, which one do you guys use? Uh, so we use new relic and then for exception handling, uh, we are on Sentry. We've also used uh, skylight for a while. What was the exception handling one you use? Uh, Sentry, getsentry.com. I, believe. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah. So the diff- the way that I would describe the difference between app signal and new relic. So I use new relic for a while, I think for two and a half years is app signal is like very much like the, the lunch pail solution for monitoring uh, a Ruby app. And by that, I mean, it just does its job like right down the middle. Like, so the design is like well done, but not flashy. The feature set is very comprehensive, but not like there's nothing with a trademark sign next to it in app signal. It is like, you know, the names of things are just descriptive names. The behavior is kind of the most obvious behavior in just about every case. They don't have any features that I would consider to be super experimental or like wicked clever getting back to Boston. Uh, (laughs) You know, it just does, like, if you thought of, okay, I want a solution to application monitoring both performance and exceptions, and I'm going to make a list of the 80% of the things that I absolutely need it to do, and then I want to make sure that a person that uses it uh, within the first three minutes of looking at it uh, can figure out where that 80% of the, you know, set is without having to refer to anything or learn a lingo or, you know, get indoctrinated into the way app signal is that it is like down the middle lunch pail monitoring. And I love it for that reason. It's, uh, you know, whereas with new relic, which I used for a while, I thought that the new relic feature set was pretty good, like very good. Um, it seems like they do everything. Yeah. And do it. I mean, they don't just check the boxes. I think that they do do it. You know, uh, it's pretty deep too. Um, but my experience with it was bad. Like I just didn't like using the application and it felt like doing the simple thing was never simple. Um, and you know, it, it felt to me like that was unnecessary, like that it, it wasn't some necessary state of the world that in order to do, in order to have a powerful application like new relic, you'd have to enable, or you'd have to have a user interface and kind of, uh, user concept that was as complicated as it was. It felt like almost like it was on purpose. And then of course there's the salespeople and you know, and I'm sorry if there's a salesperson from new relic that listens, <laughs> I'm going to say this, but it's just awful to have to deal with a new relic salesperson. Um, so app signal, no salespeople, uh, they are in, they're, uh, out of the 
um, Amsterdam. So, you know, they even, they aren't even working in most of the hours that I'm working. So they couldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't call even if they intended and they don't, it's just straightforward pricing on the website. You can sign up yourself. You can cancel yourself if you wanted to. The support is good, um, but totally on demand from, you know, from the user side. And, uh, it's, uh, for me at least kind of everything that I, uh, would want out of, out of a monitoring solution. Um, at a price point that's super economical and I'm paying the bill on most of my stuff. So that's nice. It doesn't have every flashy thing that you could imagine. I don't think that it goes after that, like thin slice of artisanal monitoring that skylight does. Um, but it has a better feature. It has a broader feature set and kind of gets the job done nice and straightforward. So anyways, there's my, I've never had them on the show before, but that's why I use them. It's, a. Uh, it's fun to have a sponsor that I do not have to read any copy for because I'm so used to using them and I can talk about them easily. So if you go to AppSignal, that's A-P-P-S-I-G-N-A-L, um, go to AppSignal.com and use the code 5 by 5 you'll get a 10% discount off of the entire first year. They'll also send a pack of, I need to put my glasses on to get the pronunciation right here. <laughs> They'll send you a pack of Stroop waffles. Oh, I just saw this on the website. Yeah, Stroop waffles. Um, as soon as you start pushing data, those are those like baked cookie cracker like waffle things from the Netherlands. There's a Wikipedia link. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there we go. I'm there. So, anyways, thanks to them. It's a great service. I am a uh, I am a user on on my production apps, and I uh, I vouch for them. They're solid. Okay. So tell me about the stack at Product Hunt. What's what what makes Product Hunt? What makes Product Hunt Product Hunt? Uh, it's you know powered by emojis. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, we have the most emoji in code, I think, of any code base ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, hey, that's part of the culture in Product Hunt. <laughs> yeah. Um, so our main website, uh, back end, uh, just all Ruby Rails. Um, our front end is almost all React at this point. Um, so we uh, it used to be sort of the standard HTML, ERB, um, and then sort of sprinkles of JavaScript everywhere. We used a little bit of Backbone, uh, some sort of custom stuff. Um, but now we're almost fully, the front end is all React. Um, currently, the React is in the same application as the Rails app. Um, but oh, really? The soon future. Boo. Because boo. Yeah, yeah, it will be separate. I love, I love that architecture. I, I find it so nice when I'm working on an application where the the front end is just a different repo deployed to some static hosting solution. Myself. Yeah, um, I think it was, well, it was, I know why it was. It was really, we had so much done in HTML and ERB, and it's just not worth the time to go through and swap everything all at once. Mm-hmm. So as we were building new things, we're like, okay, we'll do this new feature in React and then this new feature in React. And uh, now at this point, we've been doing that for so long that almost everything is in React uh, and we'll be able to you know, take the big leap and have them be separate. So it's uh, this is fun. So you guys have, it, may, it wasn't an API first design, but it's an API now design, um, you know, where you've evolved to have, it sounds like, you know, the full capabilities of the application exposed by an API. And then, you know, you've got a web client and others, I'm sure. So like is... What's your experience been with that? Is it what are the what, what's the good and the bad of that design? How do you feel about it now? Um, the transition was really hard. Um, 
I think for you personally for, or for, for product me, hunt? Uh, for me personally, I don't think overall, I mean, there were certainly pain points for everyone. Um, but me personally not having, I'm not a strong JavaScript developer. Um, I had no React experience. Uh, my JavaScript was really, I did, you know, some Angular here and there. I'd done some jQuery. Um, but this was really, I had to learn something entirely new. Now, have you accepted it into your life at this point? I am fully on board with the React. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I, I've given this advice a lot, and I've, I'm sure I've said on the show some number of times, but I really think there's something to this, that, like, step one is just decide to like it. Yeah, you have to. Just, like, drop, like, yeah, it's it's like, it's a little... It's like if your baby was ugly, like you're not going to say like, oh, my baby's ugly. Therefore, I'm not going to like embrace all the good that's in it. You're just going to accept that the baby's sort of funny looking and move on. That's my approach with <laughs> not my kids. My kids are, that's <laughs> not my approach with my kids. Cause thankfully they are, they were not ugly, but that's my approach with JavaScript, which is, I thought it was an ugly baby. And then I eventually just got over it and said, well, yeah, that's funny. We were having this conversation recently where. Um, I mean, I, I can't say I really love writing JavaScript. Uh, it's, you know, it doesn't really give me the same joy as writing Ruby. Um, and a lot of that is just like, I don't think the tooling is there yet. Uh, you know, if I want to run a debugger, it's sort of, a, it's a big process or there's one blog post on it that works. Um, <laughs> the, the tests are like, I have to look at four or five different sites to figure out how to do an assertion here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just not there yet, um, but from all and, of And you're also not there yet, too. Like, I think about this a lot, where, like, when I was new to Ruby, like, it's true that I like Ruby and just, it, it's a prettier baby than JavaScript, I think. Yep. But but I'm good at Ruby. Yep. And I'm like, how, whatever the warts are on JavaScript, I'm not as good at it. Like, so even, in other words, like, part of the problem is me. Like, I'm just not as effective yeah, uh, and it sounds like you know you're probably in a similar boat where you know you're just Absolutely. not as good of a programmer in JavaScript, and therefore it's easy to go, oh, this stupid JavaScript, it's not as good because this other thing that I'm expert yeah. in, I'm not expert in it, therefore it's it's its fault. It's uh, hard, yeah. Anyways, so I interrupted you. <laughs> uh, I think what we were saying um, about sort of React, and I think the way our JavaScript setup is now, is that um, I think the tooling right now for JavaScript, I can't expect it to be you know, as pretty as what I have for Ruby. Um, but what we do have, I think, is the best of the situation. So uh, we're, you know, we're able to write tests um, fairly easily. Uh, so I can sort of TDD react like I'm getting there. Um, I can, you know, run tests in a separate Tmux pane. So, it, you know, my workflow is quick. Um, I understand sort of how to debug things. Uh, so the, like the tools are getting there, all that stuff, I think that I always leaned on when building in Ruby, uh, that was just so easy or so natural. And maybe just because of my years of doing it, um, we're sort of now getting to that point where that stuff's there. Mm-hmm. I, I mostly build Ember on the front end. Um, and I think the Ember tooling is quite good now. Uh, you know, Ember CLI and, and kind of that, the full ecosystem around it. And man, that makes a big difference because that sort of come of age during the time that I was using Ember and, uh, the difference between sort of coding in an environment where the tooling is somewhere in adolescence and and then, you know, what it feels like to, to code when the tooling is maybe exiting adolescence, boy, big difference, real big difference. Yeah. I think, um, 
especially if you look at the Ruby community, there's a lot of focus on things being beginner friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least there's a lot out there. Uh, and then I think in the React ecosystem now, it's it's not quite there yet. Um, yeah. You look you look at the documentation, and you're like, oh, I'm glad I have a computer science degree. You know. You have a computer science degree? Yeah. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> no. True story. I've never told this in the podcast, so uh, 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 completely true story. So, for so I went to Babson College in in Boston and or in Wellesley, outside of Boston, and I went for finance and entrepreneurial studies. And uh, well, I don't know that I went there for that, but that's what I ended up studying. Um, I went there, I think, for the entrepreneurial studies angle. And uh, anyhow, for, uh, five years ago, I'm sitting at my desk. I'd started a uh, started a company, um, and since have sold that company, but have started it. And we were about to sign a big contract with a, um, about to sign a big contract with a customer. And, um, it was a pretty involved sort of situation, like a, a very good contract for us. And, uh, they decided to do, they did background checks on myself and, or I think the private equity firm that owned the company did background checks on myself and the the, my partner, my business partner. And, um, so, so they were doing that. And the next day after I hear that they're going to do this, I get a call and it's from, um, like a, a alumni relations at Babson. And they say, Oh, is, is Sean divine there? I said, yeah, speaking. Well, uh, this is Babson. And we just got a, a phone call from, you know, this background check, private investigator kind of thing. And they were just confirming your experience at Babson, but so they said, you know, uh, uh, confirming that Sean graduated in 99 from Babson, but we, we looked it up and we can't find any documentation of your final credit. Oh. <laughs> so what do you want me to, to tell them? And I said, I don't know. I mean, I guess you tell them that. Like, I don't, what am I supposed to tell you? Uh, I said, you know, they said, do you have any documentation? I said, no, I did. My final credit was with his professor and they knew that. And they said, well, the professor's not here anymore. and hasn't been here in, you know, 15 years. And, and, uh, you know, we don't have any, have, don't know how to get in touch. And, you know, thought maybe you'd have documentation. I said, no, I don't have any documentation. And I don't know why she didn't submit it, but I, there's nothing I can do on this one. And then she said again, well, what do you want me to do? And I said, just tell them that I'm one credit short, according to your documents. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like uh, what other, what other possible answer could I have? Did this matter to them? Oh God, no, 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 no. Now the, the me being honest about it is this was the best news I could have ever received that day because like, you know, you don't know me that well, but the idea that I would accidentally be a guy that didn't have his, his, his degree, even though like I kind of, you know, kind of did is phenomenal. Right. Cause now when someone says, you know, you know, where'd you get your degree? I can say, well, you know, truth be told, I don't exactly have my degree. And then <laughs> it's like a good story and, and, uh, you know, it's like a, it, it's fun. Right. And then, and then it, it always leads down interesting paths. Well, so this was my reaction. Now it turns out not everyone sees it this way, uh, including my mother. So, so I'm out, I, I'm out like, I don't know, a few weeks later, uh, my mother had come to visit and my, uh, the middle two, no, no, all three kids at the time were there and, and my wife and I tell my mom this story and the kids are there and she abs, I've never in my life seen her blow a gasket. Like <laughs> she, <laughs> she did. 
And I said, well, you know, what would you rather me do? Like uh, pay money to like to lie about it, you know, and just say I, and she said, yes, I would rather you lie. I do not want you to tell this story. <laughs> so anyways, this is my, this is my, uh, I don't have a computer science degree story. And I've never, I've never fixed it. I decided that this is, I, I'd much rather have the badge of being one credit short accidentally. I actually don't really think I'm one credit short. Like I think, <laughs> like I, I think I could get evidence of it if I tracked down this professor maybe, but I've decided that this is a better fate for me. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. What would be the point? Yeah. It feels it's a little, help you. it feels a little proud to me. Yeah. But anyways, so for that reason, I back to your story. I definitely have trouble with JavaScript documentation sometimes. Because I, oh, I is that what is that what we're talking about? Well, yeah, you said you know you need a computer okay. science degree in order to read yeah. it. And I don't even have a degree, let alone a computer science degree. So, <laughs> God knows, I have trouble. <laughs> Anyhow, so how do you feel about it now? Like, so now you're you're further in. It's not as new to you now. How do you feel about the API client, like the API, and then separate client split? Oh, I'm good with it. Yeah. Um, I like that uh, sort of the Ruby stuff, just getting the data out there. We use, um, oh, geez. Well, so we use a sort of a custom serializer. It's like active model serializers. But uh, at the time, there were some issues with uh, AMS. So Mm -hmm. we ended up writing something similar to it, but on our own. But basically does the same thing. Uh, You'll have a Ruby class. You say, um, you know, I want X, Y, Z attributes off of it or... Um, I'm going to pull these attributes from here, and then it renders it into JSON. And, you know, it does, like, the caching and stuff for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be our back end. Um, so, I mean, I like that. Uh, and then in React, you can do, um, and hopefully I get these things right. I'm not very great with React. Um, we'll have uh, sort of the equivalent. It's kind of like a model. You'll call it a record. So if I have a comment in our database, I'll have sort of the equivalent comment in React land also. And I can instantiate this comment from some JSON that came from our API. Um, And you can do really cool things with it. Like uh, something we did recently is if you look at, uh, so we have this part of the website called Product Hunt Live where you can have a live question and answer session with, you know, makers um, and sometimes very famous people. Like we've had sort of Ashton Kutcher on there. Uh, Lincoln Park will be on there next week. Um, and so they'll answer questions and like the band do, Lincoln Park. Yeah, the band Lincoln Park. They they're into uh, venture capital. God, so I, I did know that, but for a millisecond, I thought, is there some Korean guy named Lincoln Park that's like famous that I don't know? I had a total, I'm out of the loop panic moment. <laughs> the band, yes, the band. The band. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I the, I have not done one of these product hunt lives, but they sound kind of cool and they seem popular at least according to the Twitter chatter I see. Yeah. Um, It's kind of the same thing we do with products where you get access to these just incredible people and they'll answer your questions right there. Um, And is it pretty popular? Yeah, it's been pretty huge. Um, Now what's the, like what's your angle against Reddit? Like just that you're not Reddit. um, I think uh, I was never really a big Reddit AMA person. Um, I think the way we do it is different. Uh, everyone's sort of using, you're using your real name. Um, uh, things are sort of moderated more closely. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, I, that I sounds think, nice all around. 
yeah, it's just our community is very positive generally. It's uh, very rare where we have problems. Now, did um, I saw that bored Elon Musk was doing one the other day? Did that yeah. do it? Did that happen in the past, or is that happening in the future? Ooh, I, did he, did, ooh. Yeah, I, I, I think he did. I think he already did his. So I I know bored Elon Musk in real life. Um, oh, you do. Like I'm like friends with bored Elon Musk. <laughs> he, no way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a funny story about bored Elon Musk. Oh, tell it <laughs> uh, real quick. Um, so our office, we generally uh, people just send us crazy things because um, our address is on our newsletter and fairly popular. So people send like make us things and send them to us, uh, which is really cool. Uh, one day we got this weird uh, envelope. And we opened it up, and it was full of these stickers that said, "Aboard Elon Musk was here." So okay. he, he or she, whoever that is, sent them. Um, we were then putting them up. I have one on my laptop. They're around the office, and now San Francisco. I tweeted a picture of it, and Bored Elon Musk uh, DM'd me. I don't know who this is, but since it's imagine like like character, you, do you actually not know who it is, or I, I actually don't know. Who this is. <laughs> I know who some of the other ones are, but I don't know Bordy on Musk. I mean, I am not that connected to the guy. It's, it's 100% random that I am personally friends with the, with the person that's Bordy on Musk. But anyhow, keep going. I'd be surprised if it were you. <laughs> it's not me. Are you sure? Yeah, I am positive. <laughs> I, I am positive. Yeah. Um, but I remember he DM'd me and said, I heart you. And I was you know, just so excited that this robot fake Twitter person had sent me this message. Yeah. He's a, uh, and I, by he, I'm, I'm talking about the character of Bordy Elon Musk here, yes. a phenomenal character. Like I think like, it, the, the percentage of Bordy Elon Musk tweets that hit home to me are, is so high. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, I don't know if you've had that experience, but I think he's hilarious. Yeah. Anyways. And you'd never, you'd never get, I mean, if you met him in real life, you would never it's a him. You'd never guess that it's him. <laughs> it's at least I wouldn't. Uh, anyway. I tried to I tried to investigate a little bit because we had uh, it was a return address and sort of you see what is it the stamp from the post office on there and the return address he used I think was the Museum of Science in Chicago. Yeah, he's yeah. in Chicago. That's because that's where I, that's where I lived before I moved to Connecticut. So. Anyhow, so why do you think the transition from, so I've watched for some number of people now and and kind of went through this transition myself, but the transition from, uh, uh, server rendered clients to this split of API and then, you know, uh, browser rendered or, or, you know, native app rendered clients. Why do you think that transition is so rough? Cause it's hard. Like it, like, I mean, I, I'm guessing from everything I know about you that you're a pretty legit programmer and it was hard on you. And I think people that are, have less sort of, um, education and skill, um, it's harder yet on what, what do you think about that transition is so rough? I think it's, you have to approach it like you're learning a new framework. Um, and also it's that it has, that's sort of fitting in, especially in our case where we went from, we had something and then we had to make the transition and it's just the uncertainty when you're in a code base that does things multiple ways. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, I, I can't look and be like, uh, what's sort of the best practice for me to get this data to the front end right now, because we haven't defined that. Um, 
and then there's you know six of us on the team who are sort of learning as we do it and trying to figure out what works best. Um, but I think when you're in a mature code base where these things are already set up, it's a lot easier to work with because even if you're not or greenfield, um, yeah, or or you're doing it initially. Yeah, I think that I think that it, it's it may be more it may require more abstract thinking to deal with uh like an api like like to deal with a server where it's only an api and does not have any you know its interfaces is the combination of the endpoints in json um i've noticed that that it tends to favor people that are more abstract thinkers and that the less abstract of a thinker you are the more and the more say visual you are the more rough you have it um I don't know. That may not be right, but it's been, it seems right from what I've seen. Um, I I think something I've noticed with when I work with junior developers and even if you, if you think about uh, sort of the normal rails front end, you know, HTML, ERB, and it's doing those requests, you're still using, it's still an API. There's still a front end back end. They're not separate apps, but yes, it's still API. You you know, you're not so much thinking about the two uh, set the separation as much. Um, I think what some people struggle with a lot is if you come in and you're just starting with Rails, you're not thinking about that request. Because it's almost like you know it's magic or it's behind the scenes, or if you don't have a lot of experience with HTTP or building APIs, the whole concept is just a little foreign and under, uh, difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so something I've done a lot with junior engineers would be um, we just open up Chrome and look at the network yeah. Uh, you know, and I totally like, agree with that, by the way. I'm like, you submitted a form. Look what happened. Like, this is what it looks like. Okay, now let's do this in Postman. Okay, and uh, Postman's an API tool that you can use to send HTTP requests. Um, and now do this in Postman. Okay, see, you were just able to do the same thing from Postman that you did from a browser. So now how do we do this from a separate app? Yeah, I've had the same experience where... Um, like a let's say an Ember app or a React app, it would be the same either way. Can feel like totally un, um, totally foreign to someone that's not used to it. And then if you open up in Chrome, the, yeah, the network um, tab, like you said in the inspector, and just say no. You see, you just sent this like request that's not like you can understand this. Like this is totally inside of your knowledge already, and that you know hit that Rails endpoint and then got back this response. And then, you know, that's going to flow through the model and then the route to the controller, et cetera, that it, it's, that, that, that seems you're right about this, that there's something about that. That's not obvious to people that aren't used to it, which is interesting to me. Um, cause it is kind of obvious. You're like, I would think it's obvious, but it's obviously not <laughs> from people's reaction. Oh yeah. Um, something, uh, leaned on pretty heavily with, uh, I do some mentoring with, um, sort of bootcamp students who are learning rails and development for the first time. Um, and when they tell me they understand everything, I'll generally go from, okay, how does this data get from here to there? And then you just, you find the spots that they don't actually understand. And I think it's a lot easier when you're developing, if you know where all of those connections yeah. are. So I'm working with someone right now that's that's uh, that went through a boot camp, and I have found uh, 
so I'm sure he'll listen to this eventually. So hello. And I, I will not mention, you know, I'm going to talk <laughs> about you and, you know, hope you don't mind. Um, I found it to be very interesting to, to go through the process of, of, um, getting him up to speed on, uh, uh an app that's designed this way. And we've, we're working on a few things, but one of them is a relatively small app. I mean, it's, doesn't have a lot going on. Um, and that one's been a little bit easier. The other one has a whole lot going on, which is somewhat impenetrable, I think, when you're new to it and somewhat new to programming, relatively speaking. But something you just said hit home for me in that the, I think the biggest difficulty that I have is that like lurking around every conversation corner is the possibility there's going to be a topic that is just unknown to him. And it's, it's made clear to me how much there is to know, right? And how easy it is to kind of have very big blind spots in your understanding if you're if you're relatively new or frankly even if you're not that relatively new even if you're somewhere midway but either you know haven't dug real deep into the details or maybe don't have the aptitude to get too deep in every area um and i i find that a little hard to deal with that you know some things things go smoothly and then all of a sudden you hit a topic that is just a complete blind spot and and um, this is back to your CS comment from before it, that is a difficulty. I think that, you know, many programmers don't have kind of a common base of educational experience because it's, it, you get surprised by gaps that seem pretty fundamental that, um, you know, pop out and get you. And, and I'm not sure it sounds like you've had sort of a similar experience and it's hard. You know, I, I haven't, I haven't found the formula yet to get through that to sort of like, ideally, I think what I would do is audit somehow the, you know, kind of the, the fundamental knowledge and 50 areas that are important and then figure out which 20 are the problem and then like splint them quickly, you know, so that there is a way to get through conversations without accidentally hitting a booby trap. But that sounds like a project and I have not done it. It sounds like a huge project. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do it. Let's just let's be honest. <laughs> uh, you saying this reminds me of, I think it was the last episode where you were mentioning how popular live coding was. And I've noticed oh, this yeah. as well when um, this is also where you find the blind spots or people notice their own. Uh, it's especially um, a way that I've learned where I'll watch other developers and you just see like, oh, what was that that command you just did? Or, you know, that was really quick how why did you do that? Or what tool is this? Um, and then there's just all these little things that we forget that over the years we've picked up in our workflow. And when you're new, um, they're just totally foreign to you. But if you watch someone work, uh, you pick these up. Yep. I've got a, this is a great segue into our last sponsor and then let's talk about Heroku and then we'll wrap. <laughs> awesome. And a true story, what I'm doing the rest of the afternoon is my wife and I are taking the twins mall walking. <laughs> oh, let me tell you, hot stuff. It's cold here today. It's it's like forties. Oh, is I'm in um I'm actually coming to Connecticut next week. Oh, you are? I have a wedding. Oh, what is it? Next weekend sometime. So yeah, I fly out and then I'll I'll be there for like a day and then I'll I get to go stop and do sort of like the family stuff and then I fly back. Where in Connecticut? Uh, Weston. Is that down on the coast? I think it's near like Greenwich. Or, yeah. You know, it's a good, you know, a good wedding spot. Yeah. 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 
Well, you're not going to be that close to me. I'd say stop by, but <laughs> sounds like you don't have the time nor the geographic proximity. Enjoy the 40 degrees. It's cold. Yeah. So anyway, so we wanted to get out of the house with the girls and uh, decided that the mall was uh, the way to do it today. So sad panda. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's talk about lynda.com since we're talking about education. Uh Lynda.com is the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. You can get a free 10-day trial if you visit lynda.com slash rubyonrails. I think lynda.com is for the sort of people that listen to this show or go to Product Hunt, uh, for sure. Uh, They have not just topics on um, development. Uh, which they do both in Ruby and Rails and JavaScript and CSS and HTML and everything else you need to be a web programmer or or native for that matter. But they also have courses in um, business topics and design topics. And for me, I'm pretty strong on the business side. I'm pretty strong on the development side, but um, on the design side, not so strong. And occasionally, because I have my own business, I have to do things that are design like. Like for example, in the last day, I uh, uh, did like the I don't know design. I guess I'd call it wireframe and design for a web app in Sketch. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, in some ways, I wish I was a worse designer because I'm not flat awful. Yeah. Like I'm, uh, but I'm not good either. Yeah, I'm like just just good enough to torture myself and do it, and just bad enough to kind of hate myself in the process. It's it's also probably you you use so many web apps that you have you know taste like you know you know it's good but you can't do it yet. Yeah, yeah, it's torture. Yeah. So yeah. Lynda.com helpful to reduce this this level of frustration. Like for example, I this was not uh, this time, but last time I used Lynda.com to learn about how to make um, kind of some just basics of how you make text look correct on photographs. Cause I go to, like, I like go to slack.com right now and you'll see they have this beautiful photograph and oh, then they, yeah. they have the, their interface is like overlaid on top and it looks gorgeous. And I'm like, God, this looks so nice. And like, yet if I tried to do it, like I couldn't read the text and then it just, it would look, it would look like a, a programmer tried to design something. So I, I took a lynda.com course, uh, or took a course is strong. I, I watched a couple videos on lynda.com that were related to this and figured out that actually it's not hard to understand at all how they got it to work. It's like, remember these four tricks and you, you can do it too. So anyways, if you want to, uh, splint to use my lingo from before, splint your knowledge in areas that maybe you're not so strong in, like I did with, um, putting text on, uh, on photos and some other design skills that I lack, go to lynda.com slash Ruby on rails. Again, you get a free 10 day trial and, uh, thanks to them for sponsor sponsoring the show and five by five again. Okay. We are done with sponsorships, right? (laughs) Right. The show, the show has gotten kind of popular. So there, there are sponsors. Oh, there's going to be more. There's going to be a lot of people listening to this. (laughs) Oh, oh, is that, are you, uh, pointing to left field? Yeah. Well, this is, there are a lot of people that like product hunt and I suspect that this is a pretty good episode for those that like product hunt to hear about. Thanks. So for those people who do like it on product hunt, we'll be posting it on product. I know. Yeah. It's going up today, by the way. So this will be ready. Oh, really? That's quick. 
Yeah. So, well, this so I'll is... Post, I'll post it tomorrow. Yeah, this is like a lot of things in my life. If I don't do it like kind of soon, it could be a while. <laughs> so I tend to get right to it. Um, let's, let's talk about Heroku. So Product Hunt is hosted on Heroku. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Uh, yes, we are all Heroku. And and having now, have you reached the the stage of your development where someone's mentioning in the meeting, you know, if we could we could have fifty like percent <laughs> better performance and like one tenth the the bill if we just like spun up our own. Ser- like, have you had that moment yet? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Every, well, you, everyone has that moment. Everyone has that moment. Uh, this is funny. I was. Um, I think it was just two weeks ago. I was at Dreamforce, and we had a panel that I was on where we spoke about this topic. <laughs> Dreamforce. Dreamforce. We, we could have an entire uh, episode about Dreamforce because I've got at least thirty minutes of material on Dreamforce. I think. I but, wore a nice shirt that, with <laughs> buttons and no hoodie. <laughs> it's a tough call, right? You know, do you do you sort of fit in, or, or do you not? I figured I'm, I'm going to embrace it, and you know what? It was fun. So. Oh, I had fun at Dreamforce. Oh, yeah, this isn't snark. I think it's just a a, a very particular culture you get dropped into, and and uh, it's interesting. But anyway, so so what was your shtick about this? Um, yeah, so the big thing, especially for us, is um, we're tr- we're still figuring out what works. Um, launching, you know, new things constantly, uh, just like iterating on the product and finding out what's popular, um, and we. You know, I just don't have time to be dealing with it. Um, uh, can I ask a question? So you, you uh, feel free to not answer this question, but but I would love if you did. Yep. Uh, like, what does a site like Product Hunt spend on Heroku? Like, what was the range? You know, like bigger than a bread box, smaller than a house kind of range. Um, what is our bill right now? Uh, I don't know. It's not that big. <laughs> Yeah, like I, five thousand a month. Um, it is higher than that. I know twenty thousand um, a month. It's not twenty. No, okay, it's not 20, so there we go. So five to twenty. It's it's somewhere higher than five, lower than twenty. Much closer to that five number. Okay, so five to ten. So yep. that's just not a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. When you think of you know hiring a developer or you know someone to do DevOps to do that, um, I think the main argument is if you're a company in San Francisco and you're going to because really the reality of it is if you're running your own infrastructure, you're going to be building something that's similar to Heroku on your own. Right. And it's probably, uh, you know, a developer is always going to underestimate how long this is going to take. But <laughs> it's it's probably half a person, you know, just managing this. Uh, in San Francisco, that's $150,000 a year, um, you know, for a person full time. If we now have half their time spent uh, setting up images or making sure our, you know, IP table is correct or whatever. The mythical half a person, by the way, but anyhow. I'm sure it's a real first person, a uh, whole person. <laughs> exactly. Like, like <laughs> last I checked, it was difficult to consume said people in, in half-sized portions. Uh, now, sometimes you can get that person that can also do some other things, but yeah. I, I, think, I think the math very seldom works out. And I think you said the smartest reason why, which is that the option value of being on Heroku is high. Cause like you don't like things change. And if you're locked in to kind of doing it yourself and then things change, uh Oh, right. Cause it's hard. Now you got to, what are you going to unwind that employee and then hire some, you know, or you fire that one employee and get a new one. Or, you know, if you bought the servers, you're going to like, I don't know. It puts you in a, it puts you in a groove and I don't, I don't know that that's so good. 
Yeah, uh, we want to be you know shipping features and not managing servers. So very little of our time is spent dealing with the infrastructure parts of it. What do you think the most compelling argument against Heroku is? Um, it's got to be price for performance. Um, I, th- I think it really always comes back to money. Um, the really, you don't think response time? So I think um, that so I think the response is, time one is a more that, that holds more weight with me because I don't think the money argument's all that strong. Okay, so uh, let's see. So as far as response time, I have a lot of experience in this one. Uh, so when we started out with Product Hunt, we were running on uh, so sort of like the One X Dyno. Um, so if you're not familiar with Heroku, it's um, like a little Unix VPS that has half a gig of RAM. Um, and it's in a shared environment, so the CPU is shared on this box. Uh, and then they also have the 2X Dyno, which is one gig of RAM. And if you're running any sort of sizable Ruby app, you've learned quickly, especially sort of in the most recent versions of Ruby, um, even in the default state, they use a lot of RAM. Yeah, half a gig is like having a seven-foot ceiling in your house. It is pretty low. It's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and even if you're not that tall like me, like uh, you know, I'm I'm just under six foot. I would hit my head on a seven-foot ceiling now and then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, yeah, I, I right. So anyhow, that's so, that that's the one X. Totally, and that, yeah. So the one X half a gig. The two X is one gig of RAM. Um, and then when you're talking uh, Ruby, uh, single-threaded language, the way you do concurrent requests is by running multiple processes. Uh, if each process is running you know, 300 megs of RAM, you can only fit one on a 1x dyno. So you can only do one request at a time. Uh, 2x dyno, you can now do two. Hmm, you guys don't use something like... Uh, uh... I'm surprised to hear you say that instead of like a, a multi-threaded approach like Puma or or whatever that would like the first one would cost you 300 and the second one would cost you less. Um, so the thing with Puma is if you're using um, MRI uh, Ruby, the multi-threading what it gets you is you can do you can't really do threads. Um, you can't be responding to multiple requests at once. So you can be doing... Um, yeah, but the memory is going to be sure. I was just talking about the memory side of the equation. Right, but you don't get the same performance. Um, right. Like Ruby can do I.O. Uh, so you'll be able to do, like if you have a memcache call or a database call. So mm-hmm. it does, there are a lot of advantages to having multi-threaded. Um, you know, one request is, it needs to do I.O. So Ruby does the I.O. while it's also doing, it's also serving another request concurrently. Um, so yeah, there is benefit to that. Um, the only reason we're not multi-threaded right now is, uh, because of the way we're rendering react, um, where it's just not thread safe. Gotcha. Yeah. So in your case, I mean, even in the case of, of a multi-threaded Puma server, you're going to hit your head quick, but the forking server, like you're doing, you're going to hit it immediately. Yep. I think, um, I think on a two X dyno, we probably do. Uh, if we we're not running two extinos, but if we were, we would be doing two processes. Yeah. So what's the name of the one you're running? Uh, so we're on the performance L dyno, um, which has. <laughs> hey, hey now. <laughs> <laughs> Have you used this thing? No, but it, that's why I made the joke. It it does it, it does seem pretty excellent. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That we get to play with some of the cool toys, <laughs> the cool Heroku toys. Uh, so the Performance L, oh, it's either fourteen or sixteen gigs of RAM, um, hmm. and it's a dedicated machine. And I think the thing and the CPU is way better, right? It's unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. You're just showing off. <laughs> so I have um, I wrote a blog post that goes into like the details of this in our experience. So because we went from doing uh, we were you know twenty thirty you know if someone if something big was happening like thirty plus two x dynos running at a single time, um, and like that's that's a lot. Uh, and what happens when you get to that point? And I, I don't know if you've run in, like a Heroku app with that many dynos. Um, is you'll have some dynos that don't perform as well as others. And if someone from Heroku is listening, like maybe they'll say that's my fault, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, you'll have a dyno that's on a machine somewhere and it has a noisy neighbor and, you know, the, it just can't, um, it's not hitting, it doesn't have as much CPU as the other ones. So you don't get the same performance and you'll see, um, and I, I've talked to, uh, like, Codeship was doing the same thing. They went through this transition in a couple other companies. And they all said, if you look at our new Relic chart when we were on the 2X Dino, it's kind of spiky. The, you know, the performance is um, relatively good, but then some requests are uh, kind of out there. And you just sort of see, you see, you'll see this graph just spiking up and down over a long enough time period. Um, and then we made the transition into using the Performance L. Um, and... If you do the math out, I did it all in this blog post where I was looking at cost per Ruby process. It worked out that we were saving money uh, per process if we went to this big dyno. Um, and and plus, what, then you've got a big dyno. Yeah. <laughs> a t- yeah. What kind of dyno? It's like a Tyrannosaurus Rex dyno. Or- <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, what we found was that the performance was more stable. Um, <laughs> And then, well, it I, makes sense, right? Because you're isolated yeah. then. Totally. Uh, I, and the, the thing, big thing was, and I posted the screenshots or the screenshot in New Relic on this blog post. Um, you you just see it sort of being spiky, and then it goes down. It's just a solid line, and it was also three x faster for us. Oh my goodness! Which it makes you a bit suspicious of these two x and one x dinos. Um, <laughs> I think, and I don't think, you know, your performance will obviously vary app to app. The reason it was huge for us is we are uh, rendering React using Ruby Racer. So we'll pre-render, you know, I don't know the details of exactly how it works, but we do pre-rendering in Ruby Racer and um, the extra CPU was just a huge gain for us. Ruby Racer is just like a co- compiled JavaScript? Is it? Is that what it? I don't remember what Ruby Racer does. Yeah, I, other people on our team will know the details. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what it is. Yeah, I know. I know we use it, and I've seen that word before. Um, so, so the punchline for you here is that the the performance on Heroku is more a story about the low end dinos, not the high end, and that once you are at any scale 
that the sort of fantasy that you'd smoke the performance of Ruby by going to your own dedicated machines, you're saying it ends up not being an accurate comparison because when you had gone up in scale, you'd also, if you were doing it right, go to a fancy PL dyno, which is fast too. Yes, you said it perfectly. Uh You have taught me things. (laughs) Mike (laughs) Kudermesh. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a, I think if anyone is running anywhere in the range of 15 or Cooter Marsh, I even got it wrong in my like joke here. I let it go. Yeah. 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 It was on purpose. I was just seeing if you'd correct me again. Cooter Marsh. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) I sense you're lying. (laughs) Uh, so you're, if it was your call, you'd stick on Heroku for now. Yeah. Um, and anyone who's using sort of 15 to 22 X dynos, just use the performance L. Mm-hmm. I've I've done the pain of benchmarking it, so do just go for it, uh, and the price sort of ends up being around the same. Right. Well, uh, I have taken up a tremendous amount of your time. It's now an hour thirty eight minutes in. On the west coast, we've reached the afternoon. Yeah, and and uh, here at my house, we've reached the time where the babies need to leave, or else my wife is going to be mad at me. A shopping trip. That's right. We're going to go mall walking now. Uh, well, this has been fun. Yeah, this was great. Yeah, I appreciated uh, hearing all about uh, all of it. Product Hunt, about what you're doing podcasts, about uh, your journey, about the tech behind Product Hunt, about a little bit about Heroku, a couple new sponsors, you know, big show. It's big. Uh, yeah, okay. We talked, we talked about Kyle. <laughs> yeah, not, not a ton. Not, not a ton about his uh, untucked shirt uh, behind a uh, behind a, a hoodie, a zip up hoodie on stage. I I saw that photo. He looked great. Yeah, he looked pretty good. <laughs> he's a yeah, he's a big man. He can show up wearing whatever. He's going to look great. He's just he's he's got an imposing presence. <laughs> I did I did I gave him some product touch swag last time I saw him. Oh, like like t shirts and. Yeah, we uh, maybe you know if you shoot me your address, I'll see if something appears. <laughs> mm, that'd be that'd be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, if someone wants to connect with you, it, it sounds like there are many options: Twitter, GitHub, Product Hunt. Yep, uh, Mike Kutermarsh. <laughs> exactly. <it is laughs> on Twitter and Product Hunt it is at M S C C C. Is that enough? C four C's. <laughs> yeah. MS Russian hockey team. Perfect. Yeah. All right. You want to follow me anywhere, uh, including product hunt. I'm barely known. Uh, so until next time.